0: What's up everyone? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton and I am your host today. Hope you're doing well. I know it's been a couple weeks since I recorded an episode. Um, Just been super, super busy and, um, you know, living life and having a lot of fun. And I work for a church. We had Easter and then I got the privilege of getting to meet my future sister-in-law's whole family and they were amazing. I I was like, I had a lot of fun and a little bit of time I got to spend with them. Um, they were here Easter weekend, and I work for a church, and so I didn't get to spend as much time with them as I would have liked, but i um, super excited about the family that my brother is, getting, is marrying into. They're amazing, um, and it's uh, kept me from recording, but I have been working on a script uh, from an article that I found about three or four weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it a lot and working through it and adding a lot of... Uh, different content. And so today we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm actually going to read an article bit by bit and kind of just add some comments to it because it it struck me so much. Um, And today I want to talk about the importance of ordinary men who do their duty where they are uh, using this article that I found um, about a hero of mine uh, that I reference all the time, good old Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. Give it up for Theodore Roosevelt. He is a hero of mine. I love reading books about Theodore Roosevelt. I love reading Theodore Roosevelt books I that he wrote. I actually just read one um, the other day. It was, it was relatively short. It was called Fear God and Take Your Own Part. And it was his thoughts on World War I. And it was really, really interesting to read. Um, and I'll probably end up doing a podcast on it. Um at some point because one of the things i love about theodore roosevelt was he cared a lot about moral righteousness and people doing their duty and especially to their families like he cared about it a lot he put it into his normal into his speeches when he was president when he was a police commissioner like all of every position he held he there's something he cared about a lot Um, so we're going to go through this article and talk about him and the first podcast that i ever recorded with pops We named it the greatest ordinary man I'd ever met, Um, and I did so on purpose, and I called pops ordinary on purpose as a compliment to him because um, ordinary men are what make up a good—actually, just ordinary people are what make a society and a nation and a city uh, what it is, Um, and there's this tendency to look to heroes and to people in power, whether it be a pastor, a teacher, a political leader, a business leader, or somebody— we look to them to kind of be almost like a savior or to make everything right when in reality they can't um, without probably stomping on the rights of every single individual at some point or at least a group of individuals. But it's the ordinary men and women um, who make the world good. And um, it might not seem like a compliment to call a man ordinary because I mean, who wants to actually be ordinary? But it is a compliment um, because, like I said, ordinary men who do their duties to their family, they do it in their community, they do it in their work, they do it in their in their church. If they're part of a church, these are the men that make the world thrive. They are the salt and, and the light. Uh, that's why Jesus, when he's giving a, the Sermon on the Mount, he opens up with this, you are the salt of the earth. You think about who's in the crowd, it's not leaders, like political leaders or religious leaders. It's everyday, ordinary people who are sitting in the crowd from all over. And he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Um, Now, hopefully all those people came to believe in him, but we, you know, unsure there. Um, So let's see, I'm looking at my notes and kind of trying to go through them without reading them directly. And hey, no edit button, we're just jumping in. Okay, so I came across this article about Theodore Roosevelt um, and there, then I also found a speech that Theodore Roosevelt gave that kind of tied these two ideas together. And it's the both of these are about the importance of ordinary men who do their duty. Um, the article itself was about the ordinariness of Theodore Roosevelt, which might kind of blow your mind if you're like, this guy was the president of the United States. His face is carved into a mountain. There was nothing ordinary about him. But the article was written by somebody who knew Theodore Roosevelt and said, no, I can attest that he is actually a very ordinary man, which is why he is so popular. And as I, I found the article on the art of manliness website, uh, written in and this article was written in 1910 and they put it on their website. And as I was reading it, I was like, I've got to share this on the podcast. This is so, so good. Um, so we're going to, um, Oh, excuse me. It was written in 1908 and published in the American magazine, uh, not 1910. I, don't, I actually don't remember if I even said the date. So we're going to just go ahead and jump into this article and I will add my comments along the way. <clears throat> All right, jump it in. I have known Mr. Roosevelt personally for 10 years, not intimately, but something more than casually. I have heard the president explained biographically, historically, and politically, and I have not been satisfied. I have not been satisfied even with my own understanding of him until I read a recent article by Professor James of Harvard on the powers of men. It is indeed one thing to know a man, quite another to explain him. If I had not come across Mr. James's psychological key, I certainly never would have attempted to unlock the character of Theodore Roosevelt as I see it. And I'm doing it now for my own satisfaction, recognizing the privilege of other freeborn citizens to entertain any other view of him that may satisfy them." Mr. James's thesis, as I understand it, is that few men use the vast stores of hidden energy, which they possess that most of us suffer from the habit of inferiority to our own, our full selves, (laughs) meaning we don't use all that we have, um, within us. He points out the extraordinary accomplishments of men who have learned the art of energizing as he calls it, the limit of their deepest capacities. Okay. Quick pause. Um, Hear that line I want to focus on that line again Most men suffer from the habit of inferiority To their full selves And few men use the vast stores Of hidden energies in which they possess So if you've ever felt like You're not living up to your full potential Or that you were just skating by Or maybe you're even wasting time Maybe feeling lethargic Like there was more in you If you could just get it out But you don't really have an outlet That's what this guy is talking about we men, we do. We have vast stores of energy that go to waste daily as we scroll through our phones or have to focus in on Sports Center or whatever else that we use put our time towards. It's maybe not productive or good, or maybe not even not good, but just Sports Center. It's just neutral. Um, we've got these vast stores of energy that go to waste and remember this was written in the early 1900s this isn't like a modern phenomenon this is this has been happening for all of human history Uh, Proverbs talks about it um, in different language but the idea that there are men who don't use all of the energy that God has given them uh, for productive good whether it's in their work or their home or in their community or whatever they they just kind of let it go to waste and they never end up living to their full their full potential um and so that is it's pretty common. Um, I didn't really know what he meant by the habit of inferiority to our full selves. Like I had an idea, but I wanted to know, so I googled it. Of course, and I found the book that the author of the article is referencing. And I was like, I'm just I'll buy the book and I'll read it so I can understand. But it was 174 dollars, <laughs> and um, I was like, well, I guess I'll just speculate it. <clears throat> so when I when I hear the that phrase. Inferiority to our full selves. This is kind of what I think. Have, like, have you ever wanted to do something, but you didn't think you could pull it off? Like, maybe it's write a book, start a business, record a podcast, maybe it's something small, coach your kids' baseball team or soccer team, but you just didn't think you could pull it off. You didn't think you had the time or the energy. Um, but because you weren't sure if you could, um, do it you couldn't pull off this project that you really wanted to do you just kind of moved on and then anytime you had an idea you just sort of shoved it to the side because again you were like I don't know if I could pull this off I don't know if I have the energy I don't know if I have the time Um, I think that's what he means by habits of inferiority we get into it, we say no to one thing because we don't think we have the energy or the time. And that becomes a habit of just being like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, until you're doing the bare minimum either at your job or in your home. And you're starting, you're, something in your soul is like, this is not how I was meant to live. I, I know it intuitively, but I don't really know what to do. I think that's what he means by the inferior habits of inferiority something we say no it becomes a habit and suddenly we're not living up to our full potential and using all of that God-given energy that he's given to men and I do think that's something we need to understand that God has given men an abundance of energy which is why when people I tell people that I'm one of three boys they all laugh and say your poor mom <laughs> Because little boys have a ton of energy and something happens to men and when they get older that they kind of just, I guess they just forfeit it. All right. So let's get back to this article because he's going to kind of play this out through the article as he talks about Theodore Roosevelt. These remarks set me to thinking. It struck me at once that Roosevelt, more than any man I've ever knew, is energizing to the extent of his capacities. His command of his capacities is even more remarkable than the capacities themselves. If no one of in no one of his varied faculties, except in the faculty of energizing, is Roosevelt a remarkable man? All right, quick pause before I continue. Um, the The rest of the article about the ordinariness of Theodore Roosevelt hinges on that line. He is he has th- Theodore Roosevelt had like a lot of different talents that he was re- pretty good at, but he was never excellent. Um, if that makes sense. So he wrote a lot of books, not the greatest author in the world. He did a lot of hunting trips, not the greatest hunter in the world. Okay. Um, but what he did is he used his time really, really well. And he did what was called energizing, which is he continued to give himself over to stuff that would keep his, keep his momentum going. Um, okay. Back to the article. It is common to meet men of far less fame than Roosevelt who give one a peculiar feeling of greatness, of some transcendent quality of genius, which is above and beyond the reach of mere human capacity. In talking with many people who have met Roosevelt for the first time, they have been impressed by their comments upon his familiarity or his commonness. He is just like one of us. I recall distinctly the first time I met Roosevelt. It was at Oyster Bay before he was elected governor of New York. It was a warm afternoon, and he had been bathing in the bay, like you do, (laughs) and he came up dripping and puffing with his hair streaming seawater. We shook hands, and we sat down together on a bench near the bathhouse and had a good talk. I have tried in vain to imagine such an experience with Gladstone or Elihu Root. I have... I have understood that a man who meets J.P. Morgan for the first time shovel slowly shrivels up and quietly disappears through a crack in the floor provided for that purpose. I think that's a funny line. Um, so first thing uh, to think about imagine Theodore Roosevelt took a bath in the Hudson Bay. Is that is that what it said? Or Oyster Bay and. Um, and probably went for a swim, gets out, see the, sees this guy waiting to talk to him, and then probably sits down in his swimsuit and has a full conversation. This is a president who just sat down in his, his swimsuit and had a conversation with someone who came to talk to him. That's pretty familiar and ordinary. Um, these men that the author is talking about that he's comparing Theodore Roosevelt to, so he mentioned a guy named Gladstone. Uh, that's William Gladstone. He was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 1868 to 1894. Elihu Root was the Secretary of State under Theodore Roosevelt during his presidency, and J.P. Morgan is the famous um, banker who started J.P. Morgan, um, which is now J.P. Morgan Chase in in New York. Okay. Um, all three of these men were. Unbelievably powerful And anyone who was in their presence felt their power They felt their aboveness um, These weren't men you could just talk to I mean it even says that like you meet J.P. Morgan and you feel like you need to shrivel up And disappear through a crack in the floor <clears throat> um, Teddy was not like that Teddy Roosevelt was not like that And so like a question you want to ask yourself Is it, is it better to be perceived As a man of great power Or as a man of good presence and I think a man of good presence is far better than, and far more powerful than trying to seem powerful and leaving others shriveling up as you walk by. Like you, I don't think we all want to. It might feel kind of good in the moment to be like people are afraid of my power and they know I have power over them, um, but nobody wants to actually live in the presence of some, be in the presence of someone who thinks they're better than you. You know what I mean? Um, we all want to be in the presence of somebody who is familiar and feels like one of us. They don't feel above us. Roosevelt made sure that he, that he didn't come across as superior to anybody, which I think is an, is a admirable quality. All right, back to the article. Not so Roosevelt. Roosevelt is familiar. He does not act familiar. He is familiar. He is just like one of us. He is Teddy to half of the nation. Many of those who meet him familiarly, that's a hard word to say, speak of him as TR. He talks about the things we talk about, not as a political artifice, but because he thinks of them and he can't help it. As I've heard him say more than once, I'm no genius. The things I talk about are not new. They are plain, familiar principles of right and wrong. Okay. Plain, familiar principles of right and wrong. One of the great temptations I think, I know I face this, um, is to sound smart or powerful and to show your aboveness and to come up with some new idea, some out-of-the-box thinking and forgetting that simple, plain, and old wisdom has been true forever. It's like this regular stuff that you can can hang your hat on and lean upon and build a foundation upon. Um, It's what ordinary people think about. Um, most of us think about our families and we think about ha- trying to have, um, fulfilling work, uh, and to play our part. Um, and then there are others who think about like, how can I be remembered by a lo- How can I get a biography written about me? Those are very, very different, um, different mindsets. Um, now, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he did say the line, I am no genius, which maybe shows his humility or, um, I'm not really sure because he was indeed a very, very smart man. He graduated from Harvard and Columbia Law School. He served as the president. It's estimated that he read over 10,000 books in his lifetime. Um, I've read several biographies about him that speaks to his unbelievable memory. Um, So he could read a book and recall it like it was nothing. So he he was indeed a very, very smart man. But what he cared about, was the day-to-day men and women and what con- and what concerned them. He was thinking about what they were thinking about. He, even though he was president, was concerned with, what are my kids giving their lives to? Are they working hard? Are they respecting their mother? Are they respecting their wives? Are they raising children? These are the things that he thought about. <clears throat> even with his great intellect, that he himself he wouldn't have called ge- genius, and all of his books and his education, what Theodore Roosevelt came to realize, that what has been true for all of history remains true. Um, and you know, he often would cite the Bible, that book I just read, fear God and take your own part. Um, he cites Ezekiel, he cites Luke, he cites uh, Genesis, he cites all of these over and over and over again about how a society should run, um, using the common everyday wisdom that is found within the Bible. It was, it was really, really amazing. Um, okay. Back to the article. As everyone knows, he has emphasized the common qualities and virtues in his speeches and messages until he has been accused of uttering homilies, uh, preaching sermons, and moralizing. To the intellectual and the subtle, his words have been a burden, like a grasshopper of the good book. He has not pleased them, and he never will, for he is not subtle, but he is common. Um, man, what a... Okay, out of the article. What a statement. Uh, by him talking about ordinary stuff, uh, by preaching homilies and sermons and moralizing, it says that he is a burden to the intellects, to, to the intellectuals. Um, that's a, I think that's just amazing. Nothing drives an intellectual crazier than ordinary people who are wise. It just drives them nuts. <laughs> um like the grasshopper of the good book, grasshopper being a reference to Jiminy Cricket and the good book being the Bible. He's just like always whispering in your ear what you should do that's right and good um, in his speeches, which is why they accused him of moralizing and giving sermons. Um Teddy didn't strive to please intellectuals, and he never, he never even thought about it. And you got to like intellectuals are the people who they're in universities, and then like they they're considered the experts of our day, the experts in whatever their field is. Um, They're so expert in their field that they've kind of forgotten common sense. Um, And one thing, as we continue for the rest of this article, I want you to um, pay attention to how many times the word "common" comes up, because that is the key to this article. All right. Moving on. I have found innumerable references in his books and papers to the value of qualities of commonness. Speaking as the police commissioner of New York City of the administration of the police force, he said, (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt said, we found that there was no need of genius nor indeed of any unusual qualities. What was needed was the exercise of plain, ordinary virtues of a rather commonplace type, which all good citizens should be expected to possess. Things like common sense, common honesty, courage, energy, resolution, readiness to learn, and a desire to lie as pleasant oh, excuse me, had to burp, and a desire to lie as pleasant as compatible with the strict performance of duty. these were the qualities most called for what is needed for order for good society is the exercise of plain, ordinary virtues. they are not confusing. Uh, there's not as much nuance as we'd like to give them, but all good citizens, all good men, they should possess these virtues, the common honesty, uh, courage, readiness to learn. These are the virtues that Theodore Roosevelt was most concerned with and what you and I as ordinary average men should possess. Um, all right. So the next part of our examples of Roosevelt's ordinariness, examples of how he was among he wasn't among the greats, but he was proficient in these areas and his proficient his proficiency is what made him famous among the people. Uh, so this is going to be kind of a, a little bit of a long read. Huh? And those were Roosevelt's qualities. The marvelous thing in his career is the way in which he has used those qualities at in every possible direction. His versatility amazes one. His energy is appalling. And yet he is, it is only commonness energized to the nth degree as an author. For example, his production of, at 50 years old exceeds the volume in the life work of many of the great writers i haven't counted the words but i should be surprised if he had not written more than shakespeare and yet one wouldn't would hesitate to say that he has produced any real literature so he wrote a lot not the best author in the world he has never touched and cannot touch the sublime simplicity of lincoln's gettysburg address and washington's farewell to the country he has never suffered a book Uh, he was a soldier a brave one, but no one certainly would call him a military genius, even within the limited scope of his activities. A soldier is great in proportion to his ability to use other men, he himself remaining in the background. His victories are the intellectual, but Roosevelt succeeded by sheer hustle and muscle. He personally got there first. He has been a reformer and accomplished very great good. Excuse me. He has been a reformer, and accomplished very great good, though he never burned with the fire of Martin Luther or of Garrison or Phillips. Martin Luther being the great re- Christian reformer um, who had unbelievable passion and was just a ball of energy. Um, and Theodore Roosevelt was a ball of energy, but he didn't burn with the fire that Martin Luther did, which is why Martin Luther had such a lasting impact on the world. Unlike the great reformers, he has always been with the crowd, never against it. For those who really oppose the multitude, as Socrates says in the Apology of Plato, cannot hold high office nor save their lives. Uh, so there's there is a place for those people who are against the crowd. They're kind of they have function kind of like prophets. <clears throat> but okay, Theodosa, he has been a politician, but not a genius in the art like Blaine, for he has been restrained to his own advantage by another common quality, a sort of literal honesty. At Harvard, he was a boxer, a wrestler, and a runner, but he never took any championships. He has shot big game, but he has never been a first-class shot. He says of himself in one of his Western books, I myself am not and never will be more than an ordinary shot, for my eyes are bad and my hand not oversteady. Yet I have killed every kind of game to be found on the plains, partly because I have hunted very perseveringly. And partly because I practice and I have learned to shoot about as well as as well at a wild animal as at a target. Now that Roosevelt now that is Roosevelt in his own words, an ordinary shot. Yet he has killed every kind of game by perseverance and by practice. Perseverance and practice. Taking a pause from the article. Perseverance and practice. Write that down. Proficiency in any area takes perseverance and it takes practice. Uh, there's this proverb in the Bible, um, and I get a reminder every Monday morning um, on my phone on the Reminders app, and it says, the hand of the diligent will rule. Diligence and perseverance are two sides of the same coin. It's day in, day out practice at whatever you're trying to become proficient in, and it, and it puts talent to shame. Um, perseverance and practice, perseverance and practice, perseverance and practice, that That is what makes somebody proficient at something. It makes them great. Uh, there's that song by Macklemore I just thought of. Um, uh, how does it go? He says, the greats weren't great because at birth they could paint. The greats were great because they paint a lot. That's what that is, perseverance and practice. Back to the article. <clears throat> oh, short line from the article. In other words, he has succeeded by his extraordinary capacity for energizing, for using every ounce of every capacity that he possesses, by strenuous self-discipline, control, and development. It is the strenuous life he glorifies, for it has made him what he is. Okay, if you could pause and write that one down, I would write that one down right next to Perseverance and Practice. Theodore Roosevelt has succeeded by his extraordinary capacity for energizing. That is for making the best use of his time day in and day out for years on end. He didn't waste time in idleness. And like that is very clear when you read his biographies. Um, He didn't suffer from hurry sickness like we can in the modern age with our digital distractions. Um, Theodore Roosevelt, if he had spare time, he'd go for a walk. Or if he had a day, he'd go for a hike. Uh, Or he'd go on horse rides. He did plenty of outdoor activities. It wasn't like he was constantly work, 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 work on his phone, email, because those things didn't exist. Um, And he didn't have notifications on his phone. He he lived in a very, very different time. Um, And hurry sickness, like what people suffer from today... And not what I'm talking about in this article, what we're talking about in this podcast. But hurry sickness happens when we're glued to something like a phone that's always going off with different notifications. And it makes us feel like we have to rush and hurry through everything, which is very different than making good use of our time. Um, We should use we should definitely use our phones less. Um, I agree. And I still have yet to put that into into practice, Um, even though I do know I'm like I need to be on this thing less. Okay. Back to the article. As a child, he was a weakling. He was pale and delicate so that he was tutored at home and was not allowed to join in the rough play of other boys. Yeah, he was actually a very, very sick young boy, very asthmatic. Um, they actually didn't think he was going to live um, probably past like 12 to 15. Uh, he was even Theodore Roosevelt was even slow to learn. But as I have heard him say... <clears throat> Uh, He made up his mind that if he ever amounted to anything, he must acquire physical vigor. So he set about developing developing himself. He rode, he swam, he ran. He lived an active outdoor life. He learned in early years to submit himself to the severest discipline and that habit, gathering power, has been with him throughout his whole life no man today in the country works harder week in and week out than the president in other words roosevelt has learned to energize in every direction where he possesses any capacity whatsoever if he had been found within if he had found within him even a spark of ability as an artist we should have we should have had him like <clears throat> i'm going to skip that cuz i that doesn't make doesn't fit in with the rest of the podcast excuse me People have sometimes called the president erratic or eccentric and what they mean is impulsive, but I could never see that he was either erratic or eccentric. He couldn't be. He is profoundly normal. What to, what great words. He is profoundly normal physically and mentally, which genius is not his habits and his life are temperate. His, abstemia, absta, <laughs> his abstemious. he I don't know how to say the word. He doesn't eat a lot. He doesn't drink a lot. And he sleeps a normal amount. That's what what that sentence is about to say. And I'm having a hard time pronouncing that word. Please please don't make fun of me. Tongue twister. My goodness. Man. His family life is normal. And he exhorts all America to a similar normality. He exercises every day with the regularity of clockwork tennis on Wednesday a tramp hike on th- on Thursday horseback riding on Friday boxing on Saturday or to that effect it may seem violent exercise to some but to Roosevelt it's a, the normal expression of his highly energized daily life his religion is normal and expressed normally and he has a normal capacity for friendships Contrary to the belief of some people with whom I have talked, the president is the very incarnation of order and regularity in his work. This is part of his system of energizing. Every morning, Secretary Loeb places a typewritten list of his engagements for the day on his desk, sometimes reduced to five-minute intervals. Uh, Jordan Peterson also does five-minute intervals. Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. And no railroad engineer runs more sharply upon his schedule than Theodore Roosevelt. His watch comes out of his pocket and he cuts off an interview or signs a paper and he turns instantly according to his timetable. He turns to the next engagement. If there is an interval anywhere left over, he chinks in the time by reading a paragraph of history from the book that always lies ready at his elbow or by writing two or three sentences in an article on Irish folklore or bear hunting. Okay. So quick pause. Um, Two things from that paragraph. He broke many things down into five minute intervals. So like he wrote, he would write two or three sentences of an article at a time. Oh, I got five minutes. I'll write two or three sentences. Um, That's not how I think about when I do my writing. I'm like, I need at least two hours. Um, No, Theodore Roosevelt, he'd break things down into five minute intervals. Um, I've heard other people talk about that. Like I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about it. Um, And I did decide to give it a try one day, a couple weeks ago. And It's kind of amazing how much can get done in five minutes. Uh, The first place I applied this was at home. Chelsea was at work and I had a lot of chores to do. And I decided I was going to try the five minute interval thing to see how long chores would take. You know, like dishwashing, laundry, you know, those kinds of things. This is where I wanted to test it out was at home. Um, And did you know it takes less than five minutes to empty a dishwasher? every time I'm unloading a dishwasher, I'm like, this is at least 20 minutes. It's forever. It's boring. No, it it takes less, than, <laughs> it takes less than five minutes to unload a dishwasher. Um, which I was like, Oh, cause I timed it. And I was like, <laughs> um, other than folding laundry, most everything took just a few minutes. And then I had plenty of time to either play with our little girl, Noah, or to read a book. And it was, it was amazing. Um, and, uh, on the book, you remember how it said that T.R. read over ten thousand books. Um, that's legend has it. Um, doesn't it? It just seems kind of impossible. But how many five minute breaks do we take during the day to check Instagram or the news or Twitter, Facebook, you know, whatever we do, on, scroll through on our phone? Um, we do plenty of those. I get. I know you're like you're probably like me. You get your screen time report every uh, every Sunday and you look at it and you're like, there's no way that I spent four hours on my phone every day this week. Like no way. Um, that's a lot of five minute intervals. Um, so on this day that I was doing the chores, I decided like, I'm going to do the same thing with reading. If I have a few minutes, I'm going to pick up my book instead of checking my phone or sitting idly while my mind wandered or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to pick up a book. And I added up all the time that I did that during this day. And I read over an hour in just these little chunks on top of like my normal reading. Um, That adds up over the years. You know, if you just do these five minute chunks, if you get an extra hour a day, that's an extra 365 hours a year. That's it's that's several books because most books are between eight and 10 hours. That's a lot of books. Um, That's good use of the time. Um, So we can all make great use of our time if we use up those little five minute breaks on productive things like reading, which is which is good. Um, Okay, back to the article. Thus, Theodore Roosevelt never stops running, even while he stokes and fires. The throttle is always open. The engine is always under a full head of steam. I have seen schedule. I have seen schedules of his engagements, which showed that he was constantly occupied from nine o'clock in the morning when he takes his regular walk in the White House park with Mrs. Roosevelt until midnight with guests at both luncheon and dinner. And when he does go to bed, he's able to just go right to sleep instantly without a care in the world. And he sleeps with perfect normality and on schedule and on time. I've been thinking over Roosevelt's career in the White House, and I cannot now remember who have heard that he was ever ill or even indisposed as other men are sometimes. Like any good engineer, he keeps his machinery in excellent <clears throat> excellent condition and he never has a breakdown. So uh, take care of yourself, walk, eat good food, exercise, do these things to take care of yourself. Um, it's really, really important. You need your, your body running well. Um, okay. Thus, we have the spectacle of a man of ordinary abilities who has succeeded through the simple device of self-control and self-discipline using every power he possesses to its utmost limit. A dazzling, even appalling spectacle of the human engine driven at full speed. The signals all properly set beforehand. And if they aren't, never mind. (laughs) Okay, so remember at the beginning of the article, the author made the statement. And I said, hang on to this one. He made the statement about the unused energy. He said... Few men use the vast stores of hidden energies which they possess that most of us suffer from the habit of inferiority to our full selves. Not T.R. Not Theodore Roosevelt. He was a man of ordinary abilities who utilized his full capacity through discipline, perseverance, and practice. He was a spectacle of a man who made the best use of his time and the best use of what was available, growing as he could through the simple devices of self-control and self-discipline. That's, that was the secret to his greatness. Um, so the question given this article, um, the question to you and to myself, um, is, am I using my fullest capacity every day or am I giving my best and am I using my time well for a few hours a week? Okay. Let me rephrase that. Am I giving, am I using the fullest capacities or am I giving my best for just a few hours of the week? Honestly, um, I probably, on a normal week, when I'm not feeling motivated by this article, I maybe utilize 60% of my working hours effectively. Um, and I'm sure you've all, at your job, whatever you do, you get through your to-do list, it's 1030, and you're like, well, I have nothing else to do. So I'm just going to look at things on the internet or YouTube or read the news or whatever. Um, that is that is a common thing for a lot of people. I actually heard a, a pastor a few years ago, he cited a study that the average person only works about four hours a day during their eight to nine hour work day. They only do four hours of actual work. Um, which is kind of, it's <laughs> when, what do people do? You know? Um, and it's actually amazing how much can get done if time is used well and how much you can give yourself over to other stuff if you use your time well. Um, Typically I do have a long to-do list every day. And I, if I put my energy towards making the most of every minute in five minute intervals, it takes me about three hours of nonstop work to get it done. And so that gives me five to six hours for the rest of the day to like, what am I going to, what am I going to get my energies to? And there is plenty that I could either create or come up with that would be beneficial to my place of work um, to use that time. I could study, I can write, I can make phone calls to, um, the people that I oversee, um, I do this podcast. You know, there's a lot of stuff like that. So my question is, like, what could you do with the rest of your time if you put all of your energy and capacity into making the best use of your time? <clears throat> this energizing takes practice, and I'm learning firsthand as I try to make the most of my days. It's easy to do it for one day. It's less easy to do it. Uh, two days in a row and even three days in a row because idleness has a gravity towards it that we all kind of suffer from. It's way easier just to be like, I did my to-do list and now I'm going to coast. Consider this proverb. Uh, This is in the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. That's Proverbs 19.5. So the lazier we are, the more slothfulness that we give ourselves up to, the lazier we become. But the opposite of that is also true. The more energizing you do in your work and whatever else you give yourself to at home, your community, your church, the more energy you will you will have. It has like it's like a, it creates an effect. Um, it's kind of like the workout effect, actually. Um, have you ever been like really tired and you're like, I just want a nap or a third cup of coffee, or I could go work out and you come out of that workout and you're like, Oh, I actually feel way better. That's kind of what energizing does um, for you. Um. Ordinary men who energize and make the best use of the time make the world a better place. And I, I think, like, think about what you could do if you used your time well um, in your work, in your family, in your community. Think about, think about, like, what kind of contribution you could make instead of giving over two or three hours to Sports Center, Instagram, and the news. I think, like, man... I think that would be that that would have some chilling effects for societies. I think some very, very beneficial ones. All right. Um, last part of the article. Now, this power of energizing as displayed by Roosevelt is certainly very rare and a very great one, um, which is what I just said. It is rare. It's really tough. Um, but I think with it, you and I can do it if we give our if we do, if we give it and put some effort into it. It represents a supreme development of the human will. No man of our generation has used himself more effectively than Roosevelt, and that is wholly to his credit. As John Burroughs says somewhere in one of his essays, what nature does with a man, that's no credit to him, but what a man does with nature, that is to his credit. The story of Roosevelt will always be an inspiration to struggling, of a struggling limited youth for he is the very pattern in a new sense of a self-made man by perseverance and practice, those virtues of the primer. He has killed all kinds of game and he sits in the white house. So let Roosevelt be an inspiration to you and to me to make the most of our time and our energies as ordinary men who do our duty. Um, so I, uh, notice in the article, he was an ordinary man who used his capacities to their fullest potential, which makes leads him to not feel as ordinary. He was—I mean—he was a president. His face is carved into a mountain. There's books written about him. We probably, if we're honest, no one's gonna write a book about us, and that's totally fine. But we have our families and our children. Um, if you're not married and you don't have kids, like in the future, you will have these, but right now you have your work and your church and your community and whatever that you can make the most of your time and and have an impact in your society. And, and it's gonna, it's good. Um, but I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, and I want to, um, go over to a speech that Theodore Roosevelt, um, had given in San Bernito, California in 1903. Uh, so he's addressing a crowd. Um, And I cut a lot of out of the speech because his speeches tended to be long. So I cut a lot out of it. Um, But I want to talk about like this is a different perspective on ordinariness. Um, And he uh, he talks about the speech is about the temptation to grandeur and to skipping out on on duty. So let's just let's just get into this real quick. Um, In the lesser war, there was trouble that there was not in the big war for there was not enough to go around. Among others, the man would come around who wanted to be a hero right off. He wanted to be a hero right off, but he did not want to do the other work of the moment. So he's talking about the Civil War. He's, he, he, Abraham Lincoln was um, Theodore Roosevelt's favorite president to study. Um, he studied a lot on the Civil War. So he's talking about the Civil War, and there were men who came into the regiment who wanted to be a hero, but they didn't want to do the ordinary, everyday work of soldiers so he says i re- recollect perfectly in my regiment a young fellow joined and on the second day he came to me and he said oh okay so hold on quick he's talking about the civil war and then he switches over to when he was the leader of the rough riders okay so this guy comes up to him and says colonel i came down here to fight for my country and they are treating me like a serf and making me dig kitchen sinks <clears throat> so as his captain who was a large man from New Mexico, explained to him that he would go right on and dig kitchen sinks. That was what his business was at the moment, and that if he dug them well, we would see to the hero business later. That man who did well in the army in those days, as a rule, is the man who did not wait to do well until something big occurred, but who did his duty just as his duty came, during the long marches, during the weary months of waiting in camp, did his duty just exactly as in battle, he was the man on whom you relied, on whom you trusted, whom you wanted to have in your troop. Um, you wanted to have him as your bunk mate, and whatever it was, he was the man you wanted around. Yeah, so the men who skip out on doing the everyday, ordinary, mundane tasks. It because they want to only give themselves over to the greatness and grandeur of life aren't incapable of doing the grandeur things because they've skipped out on doing their duty on the normal things. Um, and this applies to every single area of life, every single one. All right, back to the speech. It is just exactly the same with citizenship. It's just exactly as this, the same in the pioneer days. The pioneers, men and women face much such difficulty as the men of the grand army. And for you. The men of that generation and your wives, there was the same hardship, the same endurance of of grinding toil and the same years of effort that too often seemed fruitless. The same iron will and the same ultimate triumph. (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt used ultimate triumph and iron will a lot. (laughs) They were like some of his favorite words. And all right. So back to the speech. And if we are to succeed, we must show the same qualities as the men of the grand army showed. That the pioneers showed that all men and all women who have showed who are fit to be fathers and mothers in a vigorous state. I would plead with my countrymen to not show any special brilliancy or any special genius, but the ordinary humdrum commonplace qualities, which in the aggregate spell success for the nation and spell success for the individual. So there's there it is again. Theodore Roosevelt would over and over and over again plead with countrymen to give themselves over to ordinary, humdrum, commonplace qualities like honesty, courage, doing your duty, that which in the aggregate spells success for the nation and spells success for the individual. Don't suffer from delusions of grandeur. Uh, The man in that war who was mad about... Digging holes for kitchen sinks, he wanted to be the hero, but he wouldn't do the duty assigned to him for the moment. And, and how often do you do you and I do that? Uh, we neglect our primary duties as we await our grand moment where we'll be celebrated and our chance to play the hero. Um, you know, we we want to have the big date with our wife, but we skip the little stuff that makes her feel loved at home. We wanna we want the big recognition at work, but we're we're not doing our normal mundane, everyday stuff. You know, it's easy to want to be the hero. It's difficult to be steady with the mundane stuff. And I have a, I have actually have a story from Little League Football to illustrate this. <clears throat> and I know I'm going to go on longer today, but um, I've been thinking about this for a few weeks and it just happened to get longer. Okay, so a story about this. Um, in Little League Football, I made the mistake of not doing my duty. Okay, I was 12 years old. Um, and I, I remember this very, very clearly. I could tell you the park we were at, we were at Ray Ross park and, um, my position was defensive end. I played defensive end in little league football for a year. Um, and my job was to guard the edge and not let the quarterback or the running back get around the edge of the line. That was, that's my job. That's my one job, protect the edge, funnel people back to the middle so that the linebackers and the interior linemen can take care of them. Don't let anyone get around the edge. That's my job. Okay. So I'm lined up. The ball is snapped. The linebackers and the DBs, they all call pass, pass, you know, like pass. Okay. So they start dropping back. And my job, remember, is to guard the edge. But I decided I'm going to be the hero. And so I rushed after the quarterback and I got a sack. Right. Sure didn't. Nope. Uh, they yelled pass, and I dropped back like I was a cornerback. And I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, other than I'm going to be the hero, I'm going to make an interception, and then I'm going to run it back and score a touchdown. I was like, I was convinced in that short four second window that this is what's going to happen. So I dropped back, I'm ready to make an interception, and what did the quarterback do? He uh, ran around the edge, right where I was supposed to be. Um, the other defensive end, he knew his job. My job, He knew his job was to guard the edge, and if it was pass, he's got to go get the quarterback. And the other defensive end was doing his job. So he chased that quarterback down trying to get the sack himself. Uh, but the quarterback at that team, he was fast, and he got away. And guess where he ran? He ran right around my edge where I was not standing, and I was not guarding my territory. <clears throat> and you know what? If I would have been there, I would have been the hero. He would have ran right into me, or at least he would have funneled back to the linebackers and gotten taken out. Um, but instead, he ran for 20 yards, where the DB eventually tackled him. Silly me. Had I been doing my job, though, had I been doing my duty, guarding the edge, that play would not have happened. And I would have been the hero that I had dreamed of. But I had, I was so convinced that I was going to get the interception as a de- <laughs> as a defensive lineman that I, I just did it. I just dropped back. <clears throat> so listen to this daddy quote again. I would plead with my countrymen to show not any special brilliancy or special genius, but the ordinary humdrum commonplace qualities, which in the aggregate spell success for the nation and spell success for the individual. The humdrum activities of being a man. They're not glorious. They aren't. There's not a lot of glory in your home. There's not glory in doing the dishes or reading books to your kids or playing with your kids or waking up early to make sure your household is in order before heading out for the day. There isn't glory in helping your kids with homework and all the other things that men do in their families. There's no glory there, but it's your duty. It's our job. Um, If you're not married, you know, getting your life in order. It's humdrum. It's boring. Um, Doing your job at work when you're low man on the totem pole. It's not glorious, but it's your job. Um, and it's those humdrum activities that we do really, really well as ordinary men that allow us to become the kind of men that we want to be. We may not have books written about us. We may not have movies made about us. No one may remember us outside of our immediate family, friends, and church, but you know what? It's going to have a generational impact. Um, and you will end up as the hero to your wife and to your kids and maybe within your community, um, ordinary men who use the make the best use of their time and give away their life energizing is and energizing like theodore roosevelt talked about energizing and putting yourself into something as much as you can instead of sitting idly by is how you give away your life for the goodness for the greatness and the goodness and the benefit of other people um, ordinary men who give away their energy for their children, who give it away for their wife, who give it away for their community. They put their life to something instead of idly sitting in front of sports center or on video games or on your phone or whatever else. Those are the men who make society great. Ordinary men who use the make the best use of their time, who energize themselves so that they can contribute more, and who do the humdrum, ordinary, commonplace activity activities of day in day out life having courage teaching your kids righteousness and justice and working for fairness as best you can those are the men who make a society great those are the men who make a church great they make a community great and they make a family great and that's the kind of man that I want to be and I'm sure I hope that's the kind of man you want to be So thank you for listening today. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Uh, Leave a five-star review. That helps us out a lot um, with whatever we're working on. And until next time, this is the Man I Want to Be podcast.